The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Today's podcast is number 56 and we're going to be talking about the identity in the Father and the best way to do this is to be discussing the definitions of God the Father. He starts out with his Father's identity throughout his ministry right through the taking the last breath on the cross he starts to adopt his own personal identity from his Father's identity. And that's the exact same thing we're supposed to do is start out with Christ's identity and to have it develop into our own personal identity. So what I'd like to do is just take a few minutes and talk about exactly what does it mean for Christ to have the identity of his Father. So, the Father makes it clear that He is the beginning and the end. Now, whatever the beginning is, is what He is. Whatever the end is, is what He is. But since there's no beginning to the Father, and since there's no end to the Father, what in the world is He actually communicating to us? Because even in the theology that is presented in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, and in the New Testament, which is where we got our verse this morning, and that is Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, where it talks about he's the Alpha and the Omega. Well, that is putting a limit on God. As God. Isn't it? It's saying God has a starting point. It's saying God has an ending point. Truth being said, probably 99% of the self-proclaimed Christians that are out there today would say God has no beginning and God has no ending. It's clear in the New Testament that Jesus is the eternal life which has no beginning and it has no end. So what in the world is being communicated here becomes rather significant to us humanoids. You see, God being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, we have to look at the finite details of exactly what that means. God's full identity is there is no beginning and no end to me. When Jesus entered the earth, he had a starting point and he had an ending point. He had an Alpha and he had an Omega. But yet, his true identity was he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, for eternity. So there seems to be a paradox in regard to us talking about the reality that God has no beginning and has no end, but yet the scriptures are making this very clear to us that he is the Alpha and the Omega. So the perspective is left with this. We as humans have an alpha and an omega point. We have a beginning and we have an end. So him making this statement, this comment, that he is our beginning. And he is our end. 
Now that is worth discussing in regard to helping us understand our identity in Christ. If we were able to find all the spoken and inspired words describing God and his identity in the word of God, we would still come up short. It is literally going to take us the rest of eternity to discover the identity of God. To discover the true character of God. The rest of eternity. You think, like most Calvinists think, as you step into eternity when you die and you inherit all the knowledge of God. I don't believe that's true. I believe we have the gate swung open to understand the fullness of God. But I believe that all of eternity will be laid out in such a way that every single day we'll discover more and more and more on who the Father is. And we will be in this constant state of being amazed and just be willing to share the glory right back to the throne of God for eternity. So it is going to take eternity for us to discover all the attributes of God. And this is the primary reason why we should be so excited about going to the Father and spending eternity with Him. And in fact, I certainly hope I get a few interviews myself with the Father directly. So let's break this down a little bit. Think of how boring it would be if you were to start a friendship with someone and you knew everything there was to know about this person on the first meeting time. First time you had a cup of coffee with them. You knew everything there is to know about them. What would you talk about? What would develop intimacy? See, personal discoveries is what actually promotes personal intimacy. When someone says, well, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you like that. Well, I like that too. And all these little personal discoveries along the way in the relationship is what breeds intimacy into that that relationship. And why would we separate God from that? The more time we take to get to know a friend, spouse, child, or God, the richer and more intimate the relationship becomes. So much of mankind's sinful flesh wants everything right now. And that's what's happening to our society. Now I want you to just kind of think about this for, for a moment. If our society gets to the point that everything is instant, I mean right now, for me to be able to get our ministry to show up in a foreign country instantly, Whereas just a handful of years ago, you had to send a missionary over there. The missionary had to set up a little church in a hut. 
and the missionary had to start developing relationships and the missionary had to pick out key people in the community to carry on the work and the missionary start preaching the gospel and handful of people got saved and the missionary start isn't that how we did it isn't that how paul did it that is not how it's done anymore it is not If you go online and look up how many donations are going to missions nowadays, you will see an unbelievable drop of finances being given to missionaries in foreign countries compared to what it was 20 years ago. More and more money is being kept locally and used in technology. Why? Television, radio, podcasting, on and on and on. Because they're realizing that technology is able to accomplish this right now. Why would I leave here and spend $12,000, three dollars to $4,000 on a ticket, and then traveling while I'm there, and then shipping stuff there, and all this when it can be done in 10 minutes? That's what's happening to our world. We are moving so fast with the gospel. And people are able to receive that truth so much more quicker that it is literally taking away the intimacy out of building relationships. And so we have to address the the critical issue of how do we continue to build relationships with these people in foreign lands that we are communicating with and educating and bringing transformation in their lives from our offices here in America. It is a a worthy question to ask and get answered. God is a God of perfect timing, and it will be in His timing that we come to know Him in a complete fashion. This is not something that you or I should really fight or battle in our, our relationship with Christ, with the Father today, we should embrace the reality that God wants us to enjoy the time that He's got laid out for us to get to know Him. Now I'm going to say something that I want you guys to tell me if you agree or disagree with. Would you say that the majority of what Christians fight with today is the fact that they don't get it fast enough? They don't get knowing Him fast enough. They don't get understanding His ways fast enough. They get frustrated, they get emotionally bent, and they start pitching fits. Is that right? Okay, what frustrates you the most with your relationship with God? I can tell you what mine is. Waiting? I heard something from someone on my trip that... It was so blunt and real and true 
that I had to step back instead of my normal having a response to give to the person. I just shook my head with the truth and reality of what this person was saying, even though it was incredibly selfish. She said this to me. Why don't people understand me? Why don't people get me? Why don't people take time to get to know me before they make these judgments? And I'm like, okay. And here I'm working on this for Sunday, today. What's the paradox that's being unfolded for me here? You see, when, when the, the balance gets tipped to people need to get to know me before they judge me, versus the emphasis should be they need to get to know God so they don't judge Him. And that's what's happened to our world is that we have put such an emphasis on our own personal growth and, and people understanding us that we are forgetting the, the core reality is that God has his timing, his ways for people to get to know him. So if intimacy truly means in to me, see, what does it take for humans to be able to break down their own stuff to see into God to see him? And if we break down the not I, this is not about you, but about Christ. And the loneliness or anything else that comes with a particular Christian's walk, which everyone has, they cannot put the emphasis on, you need to into me see before you judge me. It needs to be a need to look unto Christ. Who looks unto the Father. So Jesus, the Son of the Father of Heaven, made it quite clear that the Heavenly Father keeps profound truths from the earthly, wise, and intelligent, and gives his understanding of the scriptures to the simple minded. And that's what I was afraid of going to the summit and all these discussions we were going to have as theologians. Would it, is that it would turn into this intellectual exercise of discussing things about him and not releasing him to discuss things with us. That's what I was afraid of. And that is not how it turned out. I actually was able to see men who understand the theology in a quite complex way but are able to demonstrate it in a very, very simple way. Simple-minded way. And that takes releasing our thoughts under the Holy Spirit to be held captive. So why would this be? Well, it simply takes a child to understand the things of a child. In Hebrews, uh, language gives us 27 primary objectives to help us understand the role of the Heavenly Father. And the Hebrew word picture for the Father, if you remember of our study on that, is strength or leader of a house. Pretty simple, isn't it? 
So what's the house of God? Typically known for being a church building. So back in the med- medieval times, particularly the, uh, the Catholic Church, they built these big, 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 massive buildings because they believed God deserved it. It's the house of God. Protestants soon followed. First it was the Anglican Church, and they built these, these huge cathedrals. And then pretty soon the other Protestants started to follow and you saw churches in America building these great big monster buildings. And then something began to happen. Because you can tell the denomination by the kind of building it is. That you could. And now many of these cathedrals, in fact well over 90% of all cathedrals in the world today, are museums. In America, I just shared with you a story, since it's public, I'll share it with you uh, as well as our podcasters, but the, the Glass Cathedral, you remember the Glass Cathedral with Robert Schuller? The Vatican bought it, and now it has become a Catholic cathedral. And then the church leaders, they swap building, part of the deal, And now they're in the Catholic building, which is a smaller building down the street. So the Crystal Cathedral is now the Brick Cathedral. And the Catholics have the Crystal Cathedral because it imploded. You have to ask, why did it implode? And here's the deal, guys. When ministry is built around one particular person, ultimately it's going to implode. And it will take the possessions of the millions and billions of dollars spent in that ministry is now down the street with a handful of ministries and outreach services. So we can pretty much say it's not about the buildings. It's not about the big superstructures that are built. It's not about those things It's got to be about something else. And what is it? The indwelling life of Christ. Now here's here's the paradox of this thing, guys. We're going to find that the very same cycle that people who taught everything about Christianity in their churches that did not speak of the indwelling life of Christ, your identity in Christ Jesus, are going to implode. The same thing that happened to them structurally with buildings, turning their buildings into museums, are the exact same things that are going to happen to the common theology of the church worldwide. They're going to implode. They're not going to work for anyone anymore. And they're already beginning to experience that. Some of the stuff that's happening in the global Christian church that I heard this past week bent my mind. There's some serious, serious things coming to affect us as believers. God is in the process of separating those who know Him and those who say they know Him. And He is not about big buildings. That has been something that the original teachers have communicated from the beginning. 
This is not about the big buildings. Twenty-seven primary Hebrew words clearly describe the Heavenly Father, so let's take a look at some of those. Advisor. These are all found in the Hebrew, as well as the Greek, but primarily from the Hebrew. Advisor. Authoritative leader who assists in guiding followers in finding their way. How can the God of the universe do that with you sitting here today? How? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, John 8.28 says, is to bring to remembrance the words of Jesus. Where's Jesus getting these words? From the Father. The identity is revealed through what comes out of the mouth of the person. So as identity is being revealed out of God, Jesus is receiving those words and going, hmm, this is who I am then? And then we are given the life of Christ through representation of the Holy Spirit so we can go, so that's who I am? That's not how I feel. That's not what I see when I look in the mirror. And Christ goes, but that's who you are. You see what Mary was doing, this little paradox that Mary's mind started. Well, you, do you want to know who my personality is or do you want to know who I am in Christ? Yes. You see, ultimately, there's not supposed to be a difference. In fact, ultimately speaking, there is no such thing in the Word of God that supports personalities. In fact, personality started by a handful of psychologists who started using words like phlegmatic. That's a person that has a lot of phlegm. And I can go down the list. Because they were trying to find something they saw with their eyes, heard with their ears, to put a label upon that person to define them as a person. Ality type. When Christ just says, You're my creation. You're my child. I gift you with pastoring, teaching, exhortation, etc., etc. That's the schism we're having to deal with in our world today. It's so different from the true indwelt life of Jesus Christ. Ancestor, parent who keeps family. Beliefs intact from generation to generation. That's what a father does. So the way you destroy a family is you remove the generational teachings. You look at someone and say, tell me about your great-grandfather. I have no clue. Do you believe that God has done a better job at tracking ancestors in Ancestor.com? Do you know that Ancestry.com is the largest network in the entire world? Do you know that they house more ancestral information than the Library of Congress? Which does a pretty good job of it. Did you know that Ancestry.com is owned by the Mormons? Your average religious leader knows the importance of knowing your ancestral history. That all comes from God. They may twist it up a bit 
It all comes from God. God keeps track of your father's 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 father all the way back to Adam. He could tell you if you're from Seth or he can tell you if, if you're from his brother or sister. He can tell you which one of the 12 disciples your discipleship process was birthed from. It's all kept track by God. Why is there books dedicated in the Bible literally to ancestors? Why is it that young men were introduced back in the, when the Bible was literally being written as the son of Jebedee or the son of Joseph or the son of whatever? Why were we introduced by locking the generation above us? Identity. Identity is why. The author, the one who writes the book, or way for others to follow. Author, you can't have authority established unless you have an author. And if you have a lazy father of a household who doesn't write out the guidelines for the family, author it, he has no authority. He just thinks he does. And if the Word of God becomes the foundation upon which he guides his family from, that becomes the authoritative word of the Father. And there are religions, not church denominations. I'm not going to use that term anymore. There are religions that say that the word of God is no longer what? The authoritative word of God. See, Satan knows the way to destroy the church is to remove these key identity markings. The begetter, the one who brings forth life by way of the seed. Benefactor, patron, supporter, backer of those who follow him. The bond, one who keeps a tribe together at all costs. The chief, a principled leader who is in command of a tribe. Counselor, Assist followers in overcoming personal problems that block them from success. Creator, the one who forms life, originates ideas for particular prosperity. Forefather, father who leads his son in the ways of true beliefs. Why in the world don't we have four mothers? Why isn't there one single reference in the Word of God to passing this on to the daughters? Why don't we rewrite this baby and come up with a Queen James Version? You think someone will get that idea someday? Yeah, they're doing an international publicity promotions this week on the Queen James Bible. Which not only takes the feminine bent to it and says that's an illusion, it puts the twist back on those males who think they are females. Neutralizes it and then rewrote the scriptures. Queen James. 
who they believe King James was gay, bisexual. How twisted is that? We already had the, the gender-friendly version. That wasn't enough. Now we have a gay Bible. That's not going to be enough. I double-checked this past week on seeing if, if NIV was still going to go the route of a, of a, of a pet-friendly version. Yes, they are still working on it. But they're not going to stop there. So knowing the author and exactly what the author is saying becomes absolutely critical. Knowing the true attributes of being, being the chief and the, the creator and the forefather, the father being the author, the head of the house. Well, the first thing you've got to get rid of is there's no such thing as a head of a home. It's 50-50. You see, the reason why that it's critical we leave the principles of authority intact is because as a bride of Christ, our job is not and our calling is not to be co-50-50 leadership with Jesus Christ. I'd like to hear one person in the world today. Just one. Give me one. Email me. Text me. I want to hear one person in the world today that will say, I am co-authority with Jesus Christ. I want to hear it. That blasphemy will put you in a place that you will regret for eternity. No one shares the glory of God in like fashion. God is God. Jesus is the Son. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. We are to receive the Holy Spirit to become the bride of Christ. Not to share 50-50 authority. You see, by changing the elements of roles within the church, Satan is literally changing the elements of the bride of Christ. Where you'll have bridal members acting in such a way, well, I have just as much authority as Jesus does in our relationship. We have a 50-50 marriage in our relationship. Those are blasphemous statements before the throne of God, but not in our human world. So I'm just wanting to understand the way Satan destroys this identity list of the Father is through human relationships and human doctrines. That's how he does it. He is the founder, the leader who establishes a tribe for future generations. Governor, a leader who is known and respected for overseeing community affairs. What was a head of home called just a generation and a half ago? You see it in old movies, old novels. Governor. In Europe, a head of a home was classified and referred to as a governor. That was so insultive to the revolution that was going on in Europe, particularly to the gals, is that when they tried to change, reform the, the community, they had to deal with all these governors. Because governor meant, during that time in the medieval uh, period, the governor meant that you owned your territory. You were actually had government 
governor control over your territory. So if you had a castle and 2,000 acres, they couldn't mess with it. Government couldn't mess with it. So the government always had this objective of getting underneath the soil of buildings. So if they needed that soil for something, like during war, they can seize that property. And you're out. And these governors were hanging on to their land, their territory, their families as long as they could as governors. That, this is where the principle comes from. Which is gone now, by the way. I don't even think there's a country outside of Muslim countries that believe in governorship of territories. The fighting you see with the Muslims today is they believe in governorship. They don't need the UN to approve the dotted lines on the map. They believe governorship, personal ownership of family, friends, church, community, is theirs by sheer numbers. That's how it works. Grandfather, father of the children's children, guardian, protector, guard who has watchful eye over this tribe. Head, authoritative, strong leader who leads by example. Inventor, finds solutions by making use of available resources. Lord, one who owns people, places, and things with integrity and respect. That goes back to this ownership governor thing again. Because normally, what that communicates is slavery. So this whole fight and damage that we have done to the world today through slavery, you think we got that baby licked on the Civil War? That activated it. There's international slavery going on now like they have never seen before in history. Selling children, selling women, selling men to other Muslim sects. It goes on and on and on and on. There's more slavery going on now than ever before. Now stay with me on this. Let's walk the end times thing through with, with this Antichrist, whoever it is. Let's walk it through here a little bit. And right now, the whole emphasis is peace, 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 freedom, 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 because there's some new surge of world peace going on like we've never seen before. But yet the statistics on, on slavery is increasing. And the church is unifying under this banner called universalism like never before. But yet there's more wars and disturbances and chaos in the world. What is going on? Someone please tell me. This might be a surprise to some of our listeners. But Satan promotes world peace for one simple reason. For world slavery. There's going to come a time when the Antichrist is going to say, Sorry, I was just kidding. There's no world peace. There never was. In fact, I'm not even giving you a choice anymore. You will serve me. You will be my slave. Slavery is coming to a peak. Politics is not reducing it. Politics is increasing it. The enemy is capturing more and more slaves out of the deal. Because he knows there's coming a time when he's going to have to say, You're mine. 
And those are the details that your average church follower or Christ follower, and some even indwelt Christians, they don't want to hear about. They don't want to hear about how the enemy is reversing all these things so that he can have the entire world in slavery. So our verse about God being the Alpha and Omega and talking about the seven churches, I think becomes a very relevant discussion for true indwell believers today. But we go and we get our Christian magazines and we read about sex trafficking increasing by numbers that we can't even measure anymore. We read about slavery and selling humans, human trafficking, like never before. And we're like shocked. We read it and we go, you've got to be kidding. Someone's got to do something about this. <laughs> really? There's nothing that can be done about the time-stamped elements of prophecy that are put in place by the owner, by the author, the perfecter of our faith. It's how we take advantage of the tri- uh, these trials and tribulant times that we're in to get the gospel out to those who are suffering slavery. How many slaves are there today to Satan? Direct slaves, truly owned by Satan. Or is that even a principle we have to be concerned about? About 90%. The term slavery to sin is used in the Bible frequently. The reason why people go to hell is because they're slaves to Satan. Slaves go where their masters go. To ignore and to hide this dynamic under politics not to speak like this anymore is only enhancing what Satan is able to do he is stealing the role of the father one little characteristic at a time so master is a leader who is responsible for assisting servants to their master with their gifts and their talents Organizer, a leader who brings order to the tribe. A parent bringing up children in a healthy, proper, with proper guidance. Patriarch, a known and respectable forefather who has left a legacy. Protector, a leader who puts into place guards of protection. Respect, a leader who has earned his honor by tenderly caring for those around him. A ruler, a leader who establishes responsible rules for daily living. Senior male, a respected father who has honored and respected those around him. And of course, a teacher, educator, helper, communicator of practical truths. Here's our identity statement for today. Did you know that your earthly, if your earthly father had 20 of these characteristics, you were actually raised to handle properly and not resist the true role and identity of God the Father. If the enemy was successful in getting you to be embittered towards your earthly father because these identity statements got reversed. My dad wasn't a good protector. My dad wasn't a good teacher. My dad wasn't a good... You see how it works? 
the most practical way I want you to see today of destroying the identity of the Father, which is in Christ, which is in you, if you are an indwell believer, is through your perspective of your earthly father. And if he had 20 good ones out of the list, you have been prepared well to accept the identity of God the Father. The identity, next week's message, is going to be the identity in the us. Today it's identity in the Father. Then we can move on and talk about the practical elements of identity and finances and marriage and parenting. But this is a piece I believe we need to have a little refresher course. The view we carry in our hearts regarding the role in life of a father directly affects our view of God as a heavenly father. When we perceive God to be like, have the identity of our earthly father, we covertly accuse God of being filled with sin. Earthly fathers are to radiate the characteristics of the heavenly father. Satan wants us to view God through the lives and the behaviors of our fleshly fathers. How many people have you known who are bitter at God because of the way their fathers were? That truly is what it boils down to. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.